0: right so welcome back to the film frequency podcast and this week we're going to be talking about rude movies we're not going to define rude movies we're not going to say um, (laughs) any film that has a rude pretty much goes in this list but mark and ross have picked out a select three of their favorite um rude films whereas i had about 13 on my list so i'm going to maybe sprinkle them in as we go um but mark what's your first so, as Corey said as well, like I
1: was uh, struggling to um, necessarily define what a, a road movie is. So I've kind of stuck quite close to the topic um, and kind of went just with road trip movies. So my first road trip movie is Little Miss Sunshine, which came out in 2006. It stars Steve Carell, Tony Collette and Paul Dano. Um, it's directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris. and the premise is the dysfunctional Hoover family decide to pile into their old Volkswagen bus and they head to California to support their daughter, who's um, in a competition called a Beauty pageant competition called Little Little Miss Sunshine. And that's kind of the whole overarching premise of the whole film. Um, have you guys seen this film? Yeah,
0: it's one I've seen. I really enjoyed it, but it's one I don't think I've seen in about 10 years. So I, I was about
2: to say, I can't remember the last time I would have watched this. Um, I think I've only just seen it the once, but I really, I did enjoy it an awful lot. Because it's the wee girl in it. Isn't she the one from Zombieland? She is. It's like the, yeah. She's
1: the Little Miss Sunshine, I suppose. She's very good in it, actually. I think her name... Abigail uh, Breslin. Abigail Breslin, yeah. Yeah, she plays Olive. she's great the one who's in for the beauty pageant um i saw this about 10 years ago as well i didn't see it when it was released but um it's been a long time since i'd seen this and i i think because it has been so long i had added it to my watch list at some point so i re-watched it about a month ago and just like la la land last week's or last podcast that we did this holds the rare merit that for me i think i actually enjoyed it more the second time than the first time i watched it uh which most times when i re-watch a film it actually goes down if anything so it was surprising that i enjoyed it even more this time i think part of it is because it's like it's a perfect film for being in a lockdown and feeling miserable <laughs> in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. like it's excellent type of film for that it's a dark comedy and it definitely cheers you up um, not in like the kind of corny, cheese, uh, cheesy kind of way, but like um, that we've all got problems and life can be really shit, basically, um, type of way. So um, I thought it was very relatable. It's a dark comedy about the family. A lot of personalities um, clash in the film. So you've loads of different characters. Um, for example, you've got Steve Carell, who's this like gay, suicidal and deeply depressed uncle of the family. That's how it starts off with him. And then you've got Tony Collette, who's the mother, who's probably the most normal character in this. And she's constantly trying to keep the family from breaking uh, at the seams. And then the father is this really, like, anal and nitpicking uh, person who expects the very best out of his daughter. So he kind of pushes her a lot in this whole beauty pageant um, arena. And then you've got the son who's played by Paul Dano. I think this might have been one of his earliest uh, roles. I think he's a very underrated actor, Paul Dano, and he's this moody teenager, which he plays quite well, and um, who's decided to take a stand of complete silence because he hates everyone. And then you've got this grandfather who finishes off the family and he's this rude, say what you think, doesn't care for how he comes across uh, and like lives every day. Like it's your last um, type character. So when you bring these all together in this um, Volkswagen uh, minibus, it's it's really really good. It's quite it's quite um, quite comedic. Um and the performances are really, really good. Um you know, I, I think Paul Dano and Tony Collette, both of them, are kind of you know, actors that have, you know, spanned quite a long time now in Hollywood, but yet have never really got the appreciation they deserve. What do you feel about them, too? He's definitely,
2: I would say, one of the most underrated actors, That, but also like probably one of my favourite actors um, that I've seen in stuff. Like, if you ever... I mean, he's in 12 Years a Slave. He appears in that. He's fantastic in There Will Be Blood. Um, really, really good in that. But my, probably one of my favourite things he of him that he's been in is... You ever see Prisoners? Denise uh, news Prisoners?
0: Oh, with yeah. Hugh
2: Jackman. He's fantastic in that movie because um, he sort of plays this character that you don't know whether well he's a bit... If he's done some sort of very unspeakable things. Um, but the entire way through, um, yeah, in this, he's, he's great. But I think you're right. I think this is probably one of his first sort of movies. And he's probably... He's also um, in the new Batman movie. I just read this. The one yep. that... Um, what's his face? that. No, R to be Joker, no Riddler. He is the Riddler. Yep, which is yeah. a fantastic casting
1: choice. Yeah.
2: I think so, he's starting
1: I mean, to get the roles he deserves. Now, you know, I mean he clearly picks out excellent uh films, almost excellent. Swiss
2: Army Man. That was it. I knew there was one movie I was like, what's the movie that I had seen him in that I was like, Swiss Army Man, you've seen that one, right? The one with Daniel Radcliffe as
1: the farting corpse.
0: I haven't got yeah. Mark doesn't like didn't like him at all.
1: No, um, I didn't like it. I know It's your type of film, Ross, I assume. It is. I love that I like movie. Uh, I, I, really, I really, really rate that movie.
2: Um, <laughs> but I guess if you don't like it, we'll maybe, we'll maybe stop the conversation there. Um, but he's just... He's him. Uh, I think he... You're right. I think he's very, very underrated. I mean, he deserves to be in a lot more.
1: Yeah, and I think The Riddler, that should be a very high-profile role, Like once that comes out for him. Mm. Um, and then Tony Collette obviously has done... A lot of big films recently like hereditary again she started she had the sixth sense come out around this time uh when she did the when she did little miss sunshine but then she kind of i hadn't heard much of her and then the last few years um she's been doing a bit more so um i i guess they're not underrated well you know what i mean they're they're certainly appreciated to a degree yeah. um and then actually there was a thing i read about this uh when they hired steve carell so, Steve Carell was like the most unknown of all these actors in this film when they were making it and producing it. And then. That's madness, isn't it? Yeah. And then during, uh, by the time, you know, post production and editing and things, and by the time the release date came for the film, he had starred in uh, The Anchorman and The U.S. Office um, had both been launched. I was about to say
2: category. The Office started in 2005, so that's probably the right. Like that's madness I I can never think of because he's so sort of part of our culture now that you can't imagine a time whenever Steve Carell was like an unknown sort of quantity do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah and um, so basically he blew up in the time period between making this film and then the release date of the film so they actually started off when they first were hiring him they were uh, worried that he wasn't a big enough actor and then when it came to release date because he was by far the biggest out of them all, then they used him as like the front person to front the entire
0: film. Okay, well, uh, I suppose I may throw in a couple of mine just as an interlude between Mark and Ross. The first one is uh, Green Book, of course, it came out a couple of years ago. It's kind of the ultimate road film. Did you, both you guys see it? It, there's an awful lot of
2: people that don't seem to like that movie. There's
0: a lot of issues around Green Book, which you we know, oh, okay. spend the whole podcast on. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, in terms of a, uh, the filmmaking, I thought it was fantastic with um, Mar- Marshala Ali. Um, I think it's a brilliant film. The second one, of course, was Captain Fantastic, which uh, Ross fantastic used it, uh, movie. yeah Fantastic
2: movie. Absolutely love that movie. It's great.
0: Yeah, it's definitely one, um, it's one of my one of my favourites of his films, if we're not counting The Lord of the Rings. um, I'm a big then, fan of
1: it as well. Yeah, I think for once all three of us have seen a film and uh, really like it. We're all on the same page on this podcast.
0: <laughs> We've reached a
1: consensus.
0: <laughs> my third Vegan Mortensen film is The Rude, which in itself is a rude film. Yeah. It's all about a rude. Um, I remember seeing The Road*. Rude... <sighs> Probably in around the time it was out, and there's that one scene where they, he goes down into the basement and there's all these oh like... Oh God, yeah. That scared scared the life out of me as a, young, as, a, as a youngster, I want to say a youngster, I'm not quite sure how. We um, were quite
2: young when that came out, because I remember uh, me and one of our mutual friends went to go and see it. At the time in the cinema, and looking back, it's like, how the hell did we go in to see that and still came out as relatively sane individuals? <laughs> that movie's... It's a really bleak movie. There's nothing good about that movie. Like it's beautiful like it's a good movie, but I mean there's nothing positive. You don't come into that movie feeling in any way joyful about your life.
1: It's not a very rewatchable film. Like you'd kinda no, watch it once. Absolutely it. Not. Yep. That that um I've watched it now and that'll do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, so that's a, yeah, that's like three Beagle Mortis Mortison Rude films. Um Ross, what's your first? Okay. Duke. Well, again, thank you very
1: much
2: for not really defining what a road movie is because all of mine sort of circumnavigate, I guess, conventions in the sense that not many of them involve a car. Um, but my very first... So anyone that knows me and an awful lot of people, whenever you talk to them about movies and stuff, um, I sort of like to say that, because I didn't really study it, like I know you did, Corey. Or, um, so at my, the way I sort of watch movies is more sort of... As an entertainment and you can appreciate the art form but I don't really go too deep into it so whenever you hear people like sort of talk about like oh all these arty art house movies and all the rest of it I rarely sort of go, go along with that but the one director I suppose for me who maybe does narrow down that line that I'm obsessed with is Wes Anderson um, I'm just I there's some of his movies are some of my favourites that I've ever seen and um, one of them I actually only watched last year for the first time it's absolutely incredible. Is the Darjeeling Limited. Um have either of you seen that? Never heard of
1: it. Yeah, I have. I enjoyed it now.
2: You've never you've never heard of it, no? No.
1: I, I have oh. I've seen a few Wes Anderson Anderson films, but I've never heard of this one. So
2: again, maybe a bit reluctant to call this a road movie, but it's a road movie in spirit. Um, because it's all set on a train. Um sort of these so what essentially you have is you've got three brothers, so it's um Jason Schwartzman. Owen Wilson and Adrian Brody and their three brothers who are on sort of a spiritual journey or spiritual tour through India on one of these things that's called a luxury train. And I always find that with Wales Anderson movies, in particular, this and Grand Budapest Hotel, as soon as I've seen the aesthetics, because everything is so um, it's so beautifully shot, it instantly makes you want to go there and experience it yourself. And instantly, as soon as I finished watching this movie, I went on and I was looking up luxury trains in India and I was like, I'm going to go on one of these someday and I'm going to live out my own little Wes Anderson fantasy. Um, <laughs> but basically, you have these three brothers that um, it's the first they're You find out sort of through the course of the film or fairly early on that their father died a couple of years ago. And this is the first time they've seen each other. And then it's their sort of journey to go and see their mother who's in I think she you find out she's in like an ashram which is a temple in India so um it's just basically it's a road trip in the purest sense of the word except for the fact there's no car driving but um it's fantastic really really good really really beautiful um it's like the cinematography and it's absolutely fantastic and very if you've seen any Wes Anderson movies you know what I'm talking about there's a very distinct style to everything that he does and this is no different um they also like, have, it's a really random thing to sort of pick up, they have like the best luggage in anything I've ever seen in this movie. They have these really sort of nice like leather cases that were all their dads and like they sort of appear and have I guess sort of minor plot points throughout the movie based on that. Um, but visually very, very beautiful and I instantly went online and tried to find some to buy before realising they came out from Louis Vuitton like <laughs> at the right time of the movie and were like at this point, tens of thousands of pounds, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. Um, but fantastic, really, really good movie.
0: Yeah, I'm a big, big Wes Anderson fan. It's one I've only ever seen once. The same with the yeah. Same with the one previously with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, oh, with Royal Tenlin Bunch? Also, once again, I've only seen that the once. And um, but yeah, his films are fantastic, and I can't wait for the French Dispatch.
2: Hopefully, coming out this year. I I just I again, it's like he sort of is the the art house sort of indie director that i most follow i suppose he's the most high profile of them all but i um, i mean life aquatic of steve c2 is one of my favorite is yeah. like my top five favorite movies of all time and um, i can just endlessly watch that again and again and again so i'm very just i and like bill murray makes a cameo in it and he's hilarious and natalie portman randomly appears in it at one point and there's also like a if you watch it there's like a little prologue film all about Jason Schwartzman and him like falling in love with Natalie um, Portman at this sort of hotel in France, which is just a nice little aside. Um, But there's just some really like funny stuff in it. There's some really grim stuff in it. Like there's um, a funeral. I'm not going to go into any more detail than that. That's a bit like, oh God. Um, There's also this really random bit where they get off the train at this one stop and the brothers get back on and they find out that one of them has decided to buy like a poisonous cobra. Just for no apparent reason whatsoever. Like, why wouldn't you? And it comes in like this little box, like a little black box with the uh, skull painted on it. And I just think it's the funniest thing ever. Uh, but no, really, really good movie. Highly recommend it. Does the
1: Cobra kill one of the brothers or something? I assume that. Uh, I can't, can't spoil that for you, Mark. What? Well, how would you rank this um, uh, compared to the rest of Wes Anderson's collection?
2: Well, see, that's the thing is that he, and this is sort of, goes to show like how much I really, really liked him as a filmmaker. This probably I'd really like this movie, don't get me wrong, but I probably wouldn't even break my top five of his movies. Uh, that's but that just shows how much I really like I really like his movies. Like it's in terms of movies, it's still very, very highly up there for me, but it's not wouldn't wouldn't break
1: out of my top five for him to be honest. Yeah, I think does start watching more of his uh films. I've only watched a couple, like two or three. I think you I think if you if
2: you've watched any of his movies like I said his styles very very distinct and um, they're not for everyone there are also some movies I think that you maybe need to watch a couple of times like whenever I first watched um, Life Aquatic I didn't really like it that much and I was only after my second or third watch that I really like became a, addicted to the wrong word I became I really liked it and really enjoyed it
1: it's one of the um, ones I want to watch. My favorite of all his is Grand Budapest Hotel, but that like, was you know, the first one I ever saw. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it. there's only a few I've seen of his. It's only so,
2: afterwards I went back and started to rewatch stuff, and yeah. So I actually got a book for Christmas, which um, sort of goes into his sort of cinematography a bit more. It's called Accidentally Wes Anderson, and it's just different photographs and different shots from all around the world of pictures like scenes that just look very much like they come out of a Wes Anderson movie. Like, there's a bowling alley somewhere. There's this, there's that. And um, it just goes to show how distinct his style is. And I, of all directors, he's one of the most distinct style, stylistic directors that I can think of that's certainly working today. So, yes, if, I guess it's sort of like Marmite, you either love him or you hate him, but I, I very much love it.
0: I've got a couple of arthouse, um road movies. My first one, probably the most um, eclectic of the entire list, is uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Pierre Le Fou. Jean-Luc Godard is one of the um, French New Wave directors, uh, famously made Breathless which is kind of his big film but Pierre Lefou was one of these uh, movies was on my watch list forever and it's kind of a rude movie about these two characters who just travel across um, they travel through Paris and then across the French, French countryside and um, really strange film there's there's bits in the movie where there's like an interview style where they interview like the cameraman and like the director and the scriptwriter of the actual film it's all very um very artsy if you would say um, very beautifully shot and cinemascope very vibrant as well um so yeah it's a really good film next one is a German movie called a Knocking on Heaven's Door it's directed by a guy called Thomas Jan and it has Til Schweiger you would recognize Till Schweiger from Inglorious Bastards. It's about two uh, terminally ill p- patients who escape from hospital, steal a car, and rush towards the sea. Very poignant, very sad, and um, but very funny as well. There's some great scenes in it. Uh, and the third one is Paris, Texas by Wim Wenders. Kind of a sad movie as well, and uh, not one for rewatch, but a beautiful film with a beautiful soundtrack, in my opinion.
2: I think so. I think so. Um, again, it was sort of I. I watched it not that long ago myself for the first time and um, just very well shot the whole way through. But you're right, yeah, a bit depressing sort of towards the end. Yeah, they're,
0: they're, they're your kind of rude movies that you're not going to have, well, you might have some fun on the first two, but um, kind of sad in the yeah. um,
1: Anyway,
0: Mark, what's your next one?
1: Um. So my next one is a comedy and a comedy that I'm sure all three of us have seen and most people who are going to listen to this will have seen. And that is Dumb and Dumber, which was released in 1994. And the cast uh, it stars Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. And um, it's directed by Peter Fal- Farrelly, um, who I didn't realize also directed Shallow Hal and Me, Myself, and Irene. So he seemed to be quite um, big on the scene of the comedy scene in the early 2000s. Um, you have both seen this, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah yeah. so we, we i'm sure everyone knows the premise as well after a woman leaves um a briefcase at an airport terminal uh, a dumb limo driver and his dumber friend set out on a hilarious cross-country road trip to the aspen to return it um this here i love this comedy this is one of my all-time favorite comedies like we're talking we're talking top five probably and um it's peak jim carrey um at that point doing comedies but Along with that, you probably didn't expect Jeff Daniels. I don't think Jeff Daniels was really known as a comedic actor. No,
2: I was about to say he wasn't at that point. He was more sort of, well, I guess he's more sort of serious now as well. But
1: this was one of his rare sort of forays in the comedy, I suppose. And he he knocks it out of the park. I mean, to go uh, to stand shoulder to shoulder with Jim Carrey is very good going. Uh, And um, he definitely does in this film because he he has as, as big a role as Jim Carrey has Um, because i i think i can only really remember jeff daniels doing like family based films up till then like arachnophobia and then he did that film i think to do with geese flying away or something but um yeah he's very very good in this and it is your classic silly humor um i mean it's very very silly humor um which you do think would get very old very quick but it doesn't seem to i don't understand how it doesn't it's just very clever silly humor I wouldn't even know if clever is the right word, but it just, it works. It hits the spot for me. Um, I watched it as a kid, Um, probably not when it was released. In fact, definitely not. I would have been one, but um, I did watch it as a kid and loved the film. And I thought that as an adult, I would start to realize this is one of those kid films where actually it's not funny. It's kind of like a film that breaks your heart when you watch it when you're older, because uh, you realize your kid self. Found it funny just because you're a kid but this this is still an excellent film i haven't seen it in years though i only ever see clip uh, clips of it on tv um and then i mean to be fair there's no real specific standout scenes that i've got in my mind that i would say that was the best bit of the film or that was absolutely hilarious but just thinking about it now i remember there was do you remember pd the parakeet
2: i was literally about to say that's my favorite bit in the entire movie I was crying with laughter with that. <laughs> I can't, I'm sorry. I can literally, in my mind, I see that poor little child.
0: <laughs> what want a cracker! <laughs> I'm sorry,
1: I can't. <laughs> yeah, I remember Petey. I had to look up the name of him. I was like, is he called Petey? And, uh, and else, I know, like, yeah, it's something like that. It, but... He sells it to the
2: blind kid that lives around
1: the corner. <laughs> yeah he sells it to the blind is that how he uh makes money to buy the van or something
2: i don't even think it, no because the van they have like a dog washing business or something isn't it and it's yes. like the van's just a giant dog yeah and then no i think it's just because they're leaving and he's trying to get
1: rid of some of the stuff so just he's trying to get, he's get rid of this stuff a dead parrot the dead and he's got duct tape uh what do you call it strapped around the parrot's head to keep his head on because uh, the the guy, the thieves that show up to try to get the money from the kiss kill the part thinking we've, we've uh, we'll hit him where it hurts, but he just gets rid of the part. And I remember the whole way through these, uh, uh, what you call it, this gang who's trying to acquire this like briefcase that has millions in it, think that these guys are like super tough, super sleek, very clever, clever and very crafty. Um, but they just stumble their way through, making it seem as if it's seamless, but it's not. Um, I remember the tongue, uh, the classic tongue stuck to cold ski, uh, to the cold ski lift. Yeah. I that. And the hamburger scene, do you remember that, where they accidentally poison the guy? I, I mean, it's just, it all, it seems like a film that just all came together. Um, I never watched, there was a sequel that came out. Of this, I think there was a prequel that was made by a totally different director, uh, and it was a different cast. It wasn't Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. And then there was an actual sequel that was made only a few years ago. Did any of you see it? It was. I heard. Sequel. I
2: heard about it and I saw like the clips and stuff from it, but I've never. I never
1: actually watched it. I never did either. Corey, did you ever watch it?
0: Oh no, no, I never. I heard it didn't do yeah. very well.
1: There's a few films around that era that were absolutely stellar. But any sequels that they ever did to them were terrible, and I feel like I don't want to ruin and put a bad taste in my mouth with this film. This is
2: actually the interesting one because whenever while we're talking about this, I don't think it's out yet. I guess it's out later on in the year. Have you ever seen Coming to America with um Eddie Murphy? It's so it's a it's a it's a rom com. Well, I guess it's it's more of it's a comedy that comes out in where uh, it came out back in the eighties. And it's like Eddie Murphy's like this um, African prince who comes to the US and it sort of probably like tries to settle in and stuff there. But they're doing, they, they've done a sequel to that that's coming out in March of this year. Um, so on the 5th of March, they're releasing that. So that'll be interesting because you have these interesting ones where it's a sequel that's like years and years and years after the original and whether or not it still stands up and whether or not it's good or not but I suppose that's another a whole other sort of scenario you can get into
0: yeah I would, yeah. I would say Bill, Bill and Ted's uh, Facing Music yep. one of those exactly does not work at all
1: <laughs> No, <laughs> not not doing at all. It again? did you rewatch the sequel to that Corey?
0: I had seen I Bill, Bill and Ted the first one the second one I only saw for the first time in the 20, end of 2018 or something so they were relatively fresh in my mind but um yeah, the new one just wasn't funny, <laughs> so bad. Yeah. no, not at all.
1: No. Come to think of it, Ross, I have seen Coming to America, I only saw it a couple of years ago, but that's the exact type of film where it was like that era of time, that type of comedy, that, yeah, that's the types of sequels that don't normally do well. So we'll see if this um, can break the curse. Um, Johnny English was the example I was thinking of earlier on, where it's another one where the sequels just were poor for it, but it's a stellar original film in my opinion. Same sort of comedy, silly comedy. So don't know what it is.
0: What but yet I you know? also,
1: that in the same it.
2: vein, you have Borat, which came out. We're talking about road movies. Borat, which came out like back in, what, 2005, 2006? What? And it got a sequel last year that's, by all accounts, one of the best movies of 2020. <laughs> so, um, like, uh, On
1: that note, actually, I said this to Corey as well. Um, what's up with all the nominations that Borat 2 is getting? It's like one of the most nominated films for the golden globes i feel like they're making up for never rewarding the original borat by just giving them all to this one
0: okay so I'll, I'll interject with my next three movies um these three i would say are so i've put these under my high octane relentless rude movies um number one is steven spielberg's first film jewel about this character who um basically gets tr- Gets chased. He, he annoys a truck driver, and the truck driver just comes after him for the rest of the film. Just this poor guy in his little Cadillac gets chased down the American highway by this big giant like eighteen wheeler. Fantastic film. You can see if you ever watched Jewel, you can see why Spielberg went on to do everything that he did. Um, brilliant film. My next one is Death Proof. I was talking to Mark about this earlier. This is one of uh Tarantino's lesser known films. It was made in conjunction with uh Robert Rodriguez's um. Planet Terror, they had a grindhouse, Double Bill, about, uh, I'm not quite sure, about seven, eight years ago. Um, the first first half of the film kind of all, is all set inside a bar and then the second half is just relentless Kurt Russell chasing these women down, the, down a, along various different roads in America. And it is the, the second half is as relentless as my third film, which is George Miller's um, Fury Rude, Mad Max Fury Rude, of course, the most intense Rude movie. I'm, I've only ever seen Fury Road once, but I'm pretty sure like 80% of that film is just that chase, isn't it? That relentless. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you like I Fury Road? If we were going to oh,
1: do uh, uh, like a, a poll with everyone else about their favourite road movies, I would be surprised if Fury Road didn't come in the top three, I think. Oh. I think a lot of people like that and it's very popular.
2: Okay. Even if it's just like an action movie, I think it's probably one of the best action movies that's come out in the last like 10 years.
1: 100%. Yeah, I agree. I saw people comparing. Um, you know when that latest Mission Impossible came out. Um, a lot of people were like, "This is the best action film to have come out since Fury Road."
0: Uh, Ross, so what next? Next film? Um. Yep. Yeah.
2: So still sort of continuing on the route. This is more, I suppose, of the three of them. This is more of your typical road movie. Um, for me, um, it's Into the Wild, which is a two thousand seven. American biographical movie um, based on a book by John Krakauer I'll go into a bit more about him in a minute, but it's directed by Sean Penn and stars um, Emil Hirsch, among other different people, and it's basically all tells the story of Alexander Supertrump, or Chris McCandless, and basically he's in his 20s, um, finishes college, And then instead of going into the path that was sort of set out for him, basically just destroys all of his personal possessions and sets out on the road. And his overall sort of goal is that he has to get to Alaska. That's where he wants to go. And um, yeah, that's what basically it he, it's his journey to Alaska and the people that he meets on the way. Um, You have a young Christian Stewart who makes a wee appearance Um, As as a girl living in a trailer park, you've got Vince Vaughn, who I didn't know was in it. Um, He basically gives him a job at one point. And personally, my favourite character, I suppose, in the entire thing that he meets is this old man who's played by Hal Holbrook, which is a name that I don't know, I guess people of our generation maybe don't know as much. Um, But one of the main characters in All the President's Men. And amongst other things. Unfortunately, he actually passed away earlier on this year. So that was at the tender age of 95. So he did well there. Um, but it's basically I don't want to spoil it, and it's very easy to spoil this movie by talking about the themes too much and stuff like that. But it's we've all we've all obviously now gone through university. The three of us have all gone through it. We're all out the other end. And there is that sort of thing whenever you step out after having gone to that because essentially if you think about it we're all sort of we go to school the next logical step is that you go to uni and you do whatever it is you're doing but once you get to the end of that then there's kind of the point like well shit what do I do now like you're sort of kicked out into the wilderness a wee bit and um, just interesting obviously someone who's defies the conventions that are set for him um, but just fantastic really really good movie and a really good sort of look into the psyche of people i suppose and what it makes us people
1: um i watched yep. this film last week for the first time well I, I started trying to watch this about two years ago and then i stopped mm. half an hour in because it is slow and i knew it's, it's like, and it's also very long it is very very long and i'd read the book for it while i went traveling, and I do think the book's stronger than the film right. and, but I just did not like this film um, and it's the same I, problems I had with the book except amplified with the film um, in the fact that I couldn't get into this kid's mindset um, and I think you really need to get into the mindset of the kids in order for you to like this film and I don't think the film does that particularly well maybe it's just my perspective but I just um, so basically you know, he does. He doesn't tell his parents he's going to go and do any of this. He just abandons it, uses up all their money and invest um, that they've provided him with. They basically give him a lump sum for was it college or for moving out afterwards. He burns yeah. it all, and then doesn't make contact with his family. Now you find out that the, the family have had family problems in the past, but it's still, you know, and there's there's various moments in the film where you think. Um, you know, where he clearly is pondering about the damage and the hurt that he's causing on his parents. He doesn't lift the phone once to them. And it's and more... still goes yeah. with it. And I, I couldn't really almost forgive him for that. I, it
0: was no, like, it's
2: not. You have not a very you, selfish side. I think, and it also depends when you watch this movie as well. You can definitely watch this movie and sort of relate more to him as a character but i also think you're right i certainly the older i've gotten the times i've watched it went i have been a little bit older the more you realize what a sort of self-centered individual he is and i think the one thing this sort of shows very very well is that you can't really live as an island like we're not really made to live as an island and that like the whole point of it is that it's relationships that's like the what you should be trying to get out of life is establishing a firm, good relationships with people. And the problem is he sort of just drifts through. Um, yeah. And like you said, the way, he, the way he treats his parents is disgusting. But it's also the fact that it's a true story is kind of a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I still really I like the movie an awful lot. But I see what you mean. I don't really like he's very unlikable as a as a protagonist
1: yeah because i do agree with you that you know it is a true story so it's not like this is unbelievable this never happened it clearly did happen it's just trying to crack open his mindset and exactly the reasons why he did it because and to be fair he did when this did happen he left a diary basically where where he was he left a diary and that's why people were able to Mm -hmm. that's why it was easy enough to adapt it into a a book well yeah
2: this was the book this is the non-fiction book this is based on with um Sort of co-written between him and john krakauer and the reason i was like i recognize that name did you did either of you see the everest movie that came out a few years ago like five years ago yeah yeah. he is john krakauer is he's written a number of books but he is one of the people that was part of that expedition that went up and he's one of the survivors of the everest disaster and he wrote um, the book because you actually see it whenever you're watching it. They're talking to like this guy who's like, he's the person doing a story on them for the newspaper or not newspaper like this like hiking magazine and stuff. But he's one of the, he's one of the very few members of that expedition that survived. um So I know that was really interesting. I was like, that's a way aside when I was looking this up. I was like, oh wow. Did, so you're that's-
1: saying he wrote the book, did he? He wrote, he wrote
2: he wrote like he sort of pieced together your mom's diary and so, yeah so someone who's yeah. got
1: experience from doing um extreme wilderness yeah yeah no but like i mean i
2: just I, I like i said i understand why but i also think the performances of this are really good i this also um very strangely when it comes to music this introduced me to pearl jam which i would never listened to any pearl jam before but it's eddie vedder is the um sort of main singer and the main sort of com- not composer, but like writes the soundtrack for an awful lot of the movie. The soundtrack's and, not bad, I'll give it that. I quite like the soundtrack. I love, I love the soundtrack. And he won, I think won the Academy Award for the best original song in this wow. movie as well.
1: Um, it's a very high rating on IMDb, and I see um, Sean Penn directed it. I don't know if you said that earlier on, but yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, because uh, I don't think he directs much, Sean
2: Penn. No, he, he doesn't, but like, he's also, I, I quite like an awful lot of the stuff he does. I was interested as well when I was looking this up. I was like, Emil Hirsch, like he's someone that I've seen in an awful lot of things. And I was like, why hasn't he blown up? Where has he been as an actor? Because you see he's an awful lot of jobs. Then you sort of, you look into it a bit more and there's like some um, not particularly nice things that he's, he's done <laughs> during the past. So I guess maybe yeah, his personal life has maybe halted his career somewhat. He's he's really good. I don't know if either of you ever seen Milk.
0: No, 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 haven't.
2: Oh God, that's it's a fantastic movie. But he's really, really, he's very, very good. Um, but yeah, no, like you said, I think he does quite. I think he does quite well carrying through this movie. But it is the he has backed up a stellar list of supporting characters as well.
1: On the on the note of supporting characters, I will confirm what you said, that the best supporting character was that old man at the end. Hal Holbrook. Like, those yeah. were the best scenes of the whole film, I think.
2: Definitely. It's um, so, like, because he, he basically meets this wee man, and, like, he's a I think he's a widower, he doesn't have any kids and stuff, and then they, it's the bond that those two sort of form. Yeah. He's, a, he works, he's a leather worker, and he does this really cool scene where, like, they make a
1: belt for him of, like, his travels. The outcome of that with Chris, I also was like, you're so selfish. Like, because you're feeling for this old man and then whatever happens there I'm like just every time he interacts with people and then goes off on his own trip I can kind of get obviously you need to move on but um yeah I just one thing after another but, I do not like this character no again it's
2: I just again but th- that's the point I don't like him as a character but I think it this is a movie and as a tale serves as a very good cautionary tale. While you need why you need other people in your life and you can't just do it all on your own
0: my next film is The Fundamentals of Caring. Um, It stars Paul Rudd and Craig Roberts, uh, directed by a guy called Rob Burnett. Uh, have you guys seen the film?
2: Yeah, I really, really like this, man. Yeah,
0: I'll give you a wee bit of a, a synopsis. Uh, having suffered a tragedy, Ben, that's uh, Paul Rudd, becomes a caregiver to earn money. His first client, Trevor, uh, Craig Roberts is a hilarious 18 year old with muscular dystrophy uh, one paralyzed emotionally one paralyzed physically Ben and Trevor hit the road on a trip into the western states so it's kind of like they go on the road trip um Paul Rudd's character is trying to help Ben you know hit some of the stuff on his bucket list and just various things across uh, the states that he, he hasn't seen yet or um, wishes to see but it's hilarious it is um I'm very, very emotional and very sad. I think Paul Rudd is best when he kind of balances this emotion and seriousness um, mm-hmm. in a role. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff where he's just he just is comedy Paul Rudd and he's brilliant. But I do think when he can mix this kind of like heart wrenching drama with the comedy side, he's just fantastic. But yeah, it's a beautiful film. It's on Netflix. It's one I just put on on a whim, and I think I was near crying by the end of it
2: he's another fantastic actor that doesn't get involved in enough stuff um craig roberts i he was one of those certain people i thought was going to be after i don't know if you've ever seen submarine yeah
0: yeah. um Mm
2: -hmm. and i thought he was going to be in an awful lot more stuff after that and he just i guess he hasn't really hit the big time in the way that i would have wanted him to
0: my next film david lynch is wild at heart and we were talking beforehand about the fact that you guys aren't really david lynch fans I know Mark's definitely a David Lynch fan. This, uh, this is Nicolas Cage and uh, Laura Dern. They're both fantastic. In it. Nicolas Cage at his best. It is very... 1990s Nicolas Cage. There's nothing better in cinema than that. Madness. I was watching a scene earlier just uh, in preparation for this episode. There's this great scene of the, Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern in the car driving down, just driving down the highway and Laura Dern's changing the, um, changing the radio and all she can get on the radio is like depressing news it's like murder somewhere you know someone's been abducted the next one and she just screams and she just pulls over the car gets out and screams to Nicolas Cage like find me some music on this radio or we're not going anywhere and then he, he turns over and this rock song comes on and he just screams and somersaults out of the car, and the two of them just start dancing in the friggin' on the side of the road. It was,
1: that is that is- the start of like Nicolas Cage's screaming uh, sessions in films? Maybe that was the
0: start. Of- <laughs> and, uh, it's, fanta- it's fantastic. It's a really good movie. I think, I know, Mark, you didn't really like, was it Mulholland Drive? Uh huh, yeah. This one has a few kind of, uh, like, what would you call it, kind of strange occurrences in it, but mostly it is relatively linear. The ending is very, very, like, um, 2001 a space odyssey so just be prepared for that but it is an enjoyable film it's it's a good laugh and it's uh... i
1: do like the ending of 2001 space odyssey but um yeah i can get what you mean by that like it's quite uh uh subjective well, subjective and kind of you know you take what you want from it
0: in fact lost highway i absolutely hate it i hate it with the vengeance we watched it over lockdown and it is it's a horrible film
1: so, my last one is maybe my favorite out of the three, and uh, that is Thelma and Louise, which came out in 1991. Um, it casts, uh, the cast is Susan Sarandon, uh, Gina Davis, Michael Madsen, and Brad Pitt. And the two main characters, uh, the two uh, leads here, are Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis. And it's directed by Ridley Scott. Um, This, I think, is my favourite Ridley Scott film. I think it's, I prefer this even to Gladiator. It's an excellent film. And I only discovered this film a few years ago. Uh, The premise is two best friends, which are Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, set out on an adventure, but it soon turns around to a terrifying escape from being hunted by the police, um, as these two girls escape for the crimes they've committed, basically. So they're on the run from the police for a lot of the film. Um, And, I think for me, this is the the king of road films. In fact, the queen of road trip films because it's two female leads. I loved the film. Um, I watched it, as I said, a few years ago, having no idea about it at all, um, just that it was Ridley Scott. So that's why I think I clicked and watched it. Um, and all I'd heard before was there's some famous ending to it, but I didn't yeah. even know what the ending was. And um, as I said, it's now my favorite Ridley Scott film. Um, I've said to Corey before that, um, this is the ultimate feminist film without trying to be feminist. Um, and it's because it's just a great film, which happens to be about two middle-aged women and feeling empowered from what was going on because these crimes that the women commit, you can kind of, again, it's kind of being put, they did commit the crimes, but it's not really their fault, or at least you, you're on their side of things. Um, given what how these crimes uh, unfold. And I said to Corey as well, that if this film was to come out today, it would win so many awards. It would win the best picture of the Oscars. There'd be so much buzz about it. Um, and I, I think it did get nominated for several Academy Awards and one for the best original screenplay, which is definitely deserved. But um, it goes to show timing of a movie, like how crucial it is uh, when it comes out. Um, because I think it was definitely uh, underserved for when it did come out because it is an excellent film. Um, And I think that's the problem with a lot of films today that try and portray... Well, in some areas, uh, with some films, when they try and portray feminism, at the core, you need a great story. And I think there's quite a lot of films that are coming out today where the foundation of the film is centered around feminist or some sort of feminist empowerment. And then they forget the core principles of making a film that has to be a good story you know it needs to be a great script and then you can include like social themes into it and you can see that in the likes of Thelma and Louise um whereas you know too many filmmakers and studios kind of are seeing some sort of social change and this is something that's been happening for years you know it's not just recent they'd see a social change or something that's popular in society and then go oh that stuff's real popular at the moment let's green light a film with all this focus on this uh, social agenda or whatever, before we come up, come up with a script, and um, because that's what audiences want, and then they'll add like some sort of C grade script to on top of that, and then the the movie flops and they're surprised by it, you know, um, it has to serve the film if you're going to put something in there, and um, you know, at the end of the day, a good story is a good story, no matter if it's in the nineteen fifties or it was made in the nineteen fifties or like two thousand twenty. Um, and that throwing stuff at the screen um, just because it's popular with current audiences isn't enough to make a good movie. You could say that about like even the likes of superhero films, you know, because they're popular at the moment, don't just throw um, a random film through do with superheroes with a very per script and think that, you know, masking it with a superhero background is gonna be enough, um, you know, and I think there's too many films that do that these days. Um, so listen up, Hollywood. Um,
0: that's my rant over, <laughs> have you seen this film? I actually haven't seen it. I do know how it ends, unfortunately, but,
2: um, I was about to say, you like
0: know. it's one I really want to see, um, but yeah, I definitely think that, that, that might be a good, um, idea for another podcast where we could talk like what you just said there, Mark, that you could probably make a whole podcast and those kind of, uh, films that are, you know, trying to push a certain agenda, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's all fine for it to be in, in the
1: films, like, as long as you have a good uh, foundation, a good story that surrounds it. And I think Thelma and Louise is such a prime example of how to do it well. Um, and you're right about the ending. The ending is such a risky ending, but it elevates the whole film to another level. Um... And I'll not say what it is, even if in case anyone hasn't heard it, but I'm sure you see if uh, I'm sure Ridley Scott had so many barriers to try to clear, to convince producers and studios, uh, to make that ending and to make the film in general about, I mean, these women aren't even particularly young women. I think they're kind of middle-aged at the time. They've got families that they've come from and then to make a really unconventional ending as well. um, I'm sure even the likes of the size of Ridley Scott, had to go up quite against a lot of barriers to try, probably get it through.
0: Okay, so uh, my last two films. Um, so my number two is The Blues Brothers, uh, the 1980 film by John Landis, uh, stands, uh, stars Dan Ackerroy and John Belushi. Um Have you guys seen the movie? My, uh,
1: my background to Blues Brothers is in Florida, where I, <laughs> you look really concerned Corey, um, and it was basically in the theme parks so I have quite a good background,
0: but I've never seen it. Oh, wow, well, I'm very, very surprised by that. This is a film I have seen many, many times. Um, It is fantastic. It is such a good road movie. Great soundtrack. We've got um, James Brown in there. Carrie Fisher, basically Carrie Fisher's character is trying to hunt down the Blues Brothers all the way through the film. At one point, she like shoots a rocket launcher at them as they enter a building. It's absolutely madness. Brilliant chase scenes. There's a chase scene in the car through a um, shopping mall. Fantastic movie, great music. Um, and a great ending. The second one isn't This great. Blues Brothers 2000, um, it was made uh, with with Dan Aykroyd, but it didn't have John Belushi because he passed away. Um, but yeah, fantastic film. Honestly, if you ever want to have a good time in a movie, The Blues Brothers is great. Um, Aretha Franklin's in it, and she played. And uh, who else is in it? John Candy plays a role. Cab Calloway. All these a lot of big names. Um, is it very funny? Oh, hilarious! Yeah. Do they have?
2: is it is it in because it's based on a sketch isn't it it's based on like an snl sketch is it i didn't know that
0: that's good i
2: yeah no the only literally my only thing with blues brothers that i know about is um did you did either of you two ever watch drake and josh when you were kids
0: oh fantastic show drake and
2: josh there's episode of drake and josh where they dress up as the blues brothers and <laughs> sing soul man Oh. and like that's so for me like for years that's all like is that in the movie is that a part of the movie yeah yeah, yeah oh fantastic yeah, yeah. okay i would watch it for that because like the parody of it's great so maybe maybe i would watch it that would be enough to sell me <laughs>
0: yeah ray, ray charles is in it as well all, all these pretty much i think it's aretha franklin it's interesting because all the people all the big artists on the soundtrack are characters within the film were they oh that's maybe? cool pretty cool yeah, hundred percent. It's definitely one. Even if you get a couple of beers, it's a good, it's a good watch. I'd like to watch it with people. I think it's a good. It sounds like a good one to watch with the crowd. My, my final, my final film. Um, so this is Jerry Zucker's uh, two thousand one film, Rat Race. Oh, this yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Just laughs> is absolutely oh, fantastic. God. I decide This is the one I think that I've seen the most out of all the movies on my list. I remember when this came out, I just thought it was the funniest thing ever. was basically all these characters are trying to get to this... um really City. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Rowan Atkinson, mm-hmm. he got narcolepsy, and he just falls asleep. And it's like halfway through the film, he wakes up and realizes <laughs> he's still in the and There's Whoopi Goldberg's character when they run into the... the um, uh, squirrels.
1: Uh, squirrels uh, what you call it buy a squirrel buy a squirrel and then she leads them down like this cliff edge basically (laughs) that film is incredible like that is you know it's a it was a tough one for me to decide to put dumber dumber or that in my list it's so good i think it's a bit updated as well i don't seem to i don't think did that kind of come out and kind of pass by without anyone really talking about it i
0: don't think it did very well at the time but it's kind of one if you were young you probably thought it was the most important thing ever there was some random sort like Cuba Gooding Jr., he he was on like the the bus with all the all the ladies that broke down and then he traveled through the desert or something. Oh it's just a mad film. I, I can't even remember who won in the end. Did any of them win? John Cleese was in it as
2: well. John Cleese was was he not the one who was giving the money away? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. He was. Such a good gambling
1: idea as well. I was like, this all on paper makes sense, like why he was doing it and everything. I was like, it was more, morally terrible. But I was like, yeah, I could imagine all casino owners in Vegas doing this. It's like the next level of gambling. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I think yeah. actually Rowan Atkinson's character wins, but then and then there's a bit of a twist that happens in the end, which will not spoil, but um, yeah. Uh, who directed that, Corey? Did that uh, think uh, I direct yeah. anything else?
0: Jerry Zucker. Um, Jerry Zucker also directed Air... No, he's a producer on Airplane. Um, oh, he directed one of your favorites, Mark Ghost. Whoa, that was a weird, <laughs> weird, last weird second film. Um, yeah, a career. Mean, well, put it this way: uh, Rat Race is the last film he directed. <laughs> what? should <laughs> have in the start of his career. What the hell happened? Oh, Not the most really Um, for Jerry,
1: we should have a separate podcast on Rat Race.
2: Okay, so my final movie again completely outside of the idea of a road trip and um yeah this is this is my wild card uh <laughs> but um anyone who's met me and I guess an awful lot of the people listening to the podcast so far will have met me um chances are within 10 minutes of meat me, I've told you about the Camino de Santiago and um this uh, I'll go into it in a bit more, but this is a movie that's sort of based on that. It's the twenty ten movie called The Way. Mark, I don't think you've seen this movie. I highly doubt you have. Have you Never heard of it? It's um, it's written and direct. It's directed, written, and produced by Emilio Estevez, who you may know as Charlie Sheen's sort of less crazy younger brother, who was in he did like the Mighty Ducks movies and stuff back in the day. Hasn't really done much since, to be honest. Um, but his, the main starring role is his dad, so Martin Sheen. And basically what happens is, and it's not really a spoiler, but Martin Sheen has to go to Spain because he's found out that his son, who's a bit of sort of a free spirit, has died um, doing this very famous pilgrimage walk, which is called the Camino de Santiago. Um, it's 500 miles through Spain. And basically it starts in the French side of the Pyrenees Mountains. This is like there's many different routes, to but basic there's many different routes but essentially the main route it starts in the Pyrenees and it's 500 miles and it goes along the top of Spain and um, ends at Santiago which is Saint James and it's known as the Way of Saint James which is why the movie is called the Way um, basically it's supposedly where Saint James who, I, according to my biblical history, is Jesus's brother. He's one of the, one of the disciples, but Jesus his brother. And basically, but the whole point is that this is this walk and hundreds and thousands of people, I guess, maybe not this year, thousands of people do it every year. And, um, I had never seen this movie before, but I had heard about this walk. So I agreed to do it. And the night before I left to do this walk, I stuck this movie on and it was kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. That's kind of thing. Um, And then when I come back, it's just, it's a movie I watch maybe at least once or twice every year um, because it's, it's a deep sort of personal meaning to me, Uh, but it's just a really nice wee movie. And again, road in the sense that I think the one thing that all these road movies sort of capture is that, yes, it's the whole point is it's your characters getting from point A to point B, but realistically the main sort of point of the movie is the journey that happens in between. So not a single person uses a car in this movie, um, but it's still a road of some description. Um, yeah, I'd say that's sort of qualifies. Yeah, I think so. And, like, the sort of... You have Martin Sheen's, like, the main character. Obviously, he's doing this walk in memory of his son, but there's a whole... there's He has, like, a little band, a little sort of quartet, three forms. Um... York van Wageningen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll well say that again, Corey. Jörg van Wageningen. Uh, sorry, I, my Dutch is terrible, as I'm sure you, I'm sure you can it's guess. Uh, exactly. He's basically, he meets these different people, but he's, he's my favourite. He's like this big fat Dutch man that he meets. And everyone who's doing, whenever you do this walk, everyone does it where it's like you're asked why you're doing it. That's a big thing at the end, why you're doing it and um they all turn around and he's basically he's probably the most like i was whenever i did it where he's just like he's fat and he wants to lose weight and he's like my wife doesn't want to have sex with me anymore so i have to lose the weight and um he's he's (laughs) he's the comedic relief during the movie but he's really really good and then um they meet this canadian woman deborah inger and i've looked her up and this is like the last movie she did or like one of the last movies she did, so maybe not a huge career there. But the other one, and this is for one for anyone from our neck of the woods, um, who's listening to this, James Nesbitt. They just randomly find yeah, Jimmy yeah, Nesbitt in, the, in the middle of a field, and it's like hilarious because I didn't know he was in it, and I'm just watching this and I'm like, oh my god, it's wee Jimmy Nesbitt walking around the field, walking around the field. He's a writer, Jack from Ar- I'm Jack from Ireland. And he finds he's walking around the field twirling a wee stick around and he's like completely he's like they say to him, oh, how long have you been here for? And I was like, I'm like, I have no idea how long he's just been in this random field for like he has no idea how long for um, and he's writing a story about it. But it's just it's a great sort of movie about just I again, it encapsulates that whole experience. I can't really describe it to people who maybe haven't done it before uh, again. Now every single person that will ever meet me has heard me talk about this because that's literally I can't go ten minutes without you talking about it. Uh, but it's just a, it's a really it's just it to quote the to quote Emilio Estevez, the film is pro people, pro life and not anti anything. And I think that's a it's a very inoffensive, just nice wee movie. And I, I highly recommend it.
1: I didn't realise that Emilio Estevez is the Mighty Ducks coach. Yes. Yes. I had no idea that Mighty Ducks coach was
2: um, Michael Sheen's
1: uh, He's
2: also, he was like sort of the, he was part of the Brat Pack which I guess is like a bunch of but he's in like the Breakfast Club Cowboys uh, or something I don't know. Yeah, he's yeah. in a whole bunch of. he was in a whole bunch of stuff in the 80s but this a is his like movie and, and the stuff, in the this film. is his directorial movie and like I, I highly recommend it especially there's just a really nice wee bit at the end where as part of, like, most people, what they do is you get to Santiago. It's like this big cathedral and you're supposed to, this is like, again, it's this, I think it perfectly encapsulates the idea of a road movie where it's you've got your destination and they all get there and they're all like, oh, it's beautiful and all the rest of it and people are crying and what have you. And then there's an extra bit where it's like there's an extra, like, 100 kilometres you can walk to the sea so you basically just run out of country and it's weird because i watched it whenever i whenever i was watching it like i said the night before i left it was like oh yeah i'll never do that but literally they had the exact same discussion that me and my friends had whenever we were there where it was uh oh, we've kind of like walked this far we may as well just kind of keep going so we did we just we just kept walking for another like 100 kilometers at the end just for the bumps and there's just a nice wee bit where they're all standing down at the sea and they all talk about why they were doing it so like jack from ireland is um, he's doing it because he has writer's block and he doesn't know how to get past the writer's block. So he he says, like, how he's going to go and write a book or something. Um, The Canadian woman, she's doing it because she wants to, like, quit smoking, but she's been fagging away the entire time. So it's like she doesn't really, it doesn't (laughs) do anything for her. And then, like, the, the guy, like, again, the Dutch guy, he's, like, honestly one of my favourite characters in movies. He's so funny. But he's just turned around and goes, oh, yes, well, maybe my wife would have shipped me now that I've lost some weight, and just, like, waddles off. And um, it's just great. It's, uh, you you would, I think you would really like it as a movie. Like, it's it's fun, and um,
1: it's actually quite funny. I don't find it there in IMDb, but I find it. It's, it's quite a small film. It is quite a small film, but they, like, there's
2: quite, it's really strange, because if you go, to if you're on it there's like this one bit where it's a very famous and it's in the movie it's a very famous sort of spot along it somewhere where there's like a silhouette like made of iron of different pilgrims supposedly walking and it's sort of set against this landscape and um it's literally called the alto de perdon which is just like the mound of like the walker or something or the height of the walker and you get to the top of this hill and it's sort of sitting there and, I stopped to take a picture of it because it's like one of those like hashtag Instagram shots and I stopped to take a photo of it and there's like I put my bag down next to this like monument and I was like oh this is obviously for someone that's died or like some king of Spain or some saint or some really important person (laughs) it's a monument to Martin Martin Shane that's just randomly sitting in the middle of Spain so I thought that was really good but like just the round off the list, um, just a nice, we capture the spirit, I think, of a road movie. But yeah, you don't really, you avoid the cars. Um, but do you have any honourable mentions you want to talk about?
1: Uh, I've just got ones that I've recently watched. So you can do your honourable mentions and then we'll do um, what we've watched. Uh,
2: no, yeah, my honourable mentions for me. Um, Sideways, really good road trip movie. Uh, by two two sort of mates, and two two mates, two friends, and they're sort of um, middle-aged guys. One of them's about to get married, so therefore a sort of wee nerdy sidekick, I suppose, um, decides to take him. He's a wine connoisseur. He's one of the, you know, have you ever met anyone who's like really into wine? Um, they're always, no. they're a bit stuck up and they're kind of strange people, but he perfectly sort of sums that up and he's just, so they go on like a wine tasting tour um and basically the guy like they find these g- girls that they sort of fall, and, fall for even the one who's like getting married and um if anyone's seen Killing Eve or Grey's Anatomy Sandra O oh makes an appearance which I thought was quite cool I was like oh it's like look, look who it is um so that's a good one um Inside Lewin Davis is another one it's by the Coen brothers and it starts Oscar Isaac before he was sort of Poe Dameron before he got big um it's a good. I it's it's a good movie. I quite like it. But my favorite thing about it is the soundtrack. It's sort of sort of old folk, not old folk, but like sort of folk from back in the day. It's really really good. Um, Easy Rider, another classic. Basically, it is the classic, the ultimate road movie. Sort of, and then Little Miss Sunshine, which I guess you've already talked
1: about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Inside Lou and Davis, I've never watched actually, but um, I'd like to watch it sometime because that was kind of Oscar Isaac. Can't remember him doing anything. I think that's that.
2: like his main like breakthrough. It might be his breakthrough role, um, but I've I'm obsessed. I the soundtrack. I just absolutely love it. It's um, Marcus Mumford from Mumford and Sons is one of the main guys who sort of brought it all together. Um,
1: that would I'm not surprised. I that, just
2: yeah, given the what, what I can it's the sort of that music one. that I kind of like to listen to. So that was it's the one sort of it was the first soundtrack to the movie I bought. Um, before I bought, well, then I bought like the Guardians of the Galaxy ones, but yeah. Um, do you want to move on to what we've watched recently? What have I been watching? I binge watched all of Wandavision at the weekend. I haven't seen any of it. I haven't jumped onto the Wandavision train, uh, but um very much choo-choo. It's left the station now. Um, so, have, have you seen it?
1: No, but I've heard every like I've heard all the spoilers and stuff.
2: Oh, I don't want to spoil it for you. It's just it's very good. You should watch it yeah Um, i heard about
1: the the twist that happened like last episode or two episodes ago oh yeah 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 i know what you're talking about um i I think the whole we talked about this in a previous podcast the whole multiverse thing that uh kevin uh faggy is about. i think could be a very genius move um on his part it's it's kind of the only other interesting direction you can go i think after endgame that is going to be very different but you know, also swinging and trying something different. So, and it also helps introduce Fox superhero characters into the mix and making it easy to do without bluntly doing it. Well,
2: so. I mean, this is pure speculation, and I don't know if this will have been confirmed whenever this podcast comes out. But were we, are we allowed to do sort of fan speculation stuff on this?
1: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. There
2: is a bit in the recent episode where. Darcy, I don't know, again, you haven't watched it. Um, the girl from, did you watch Thor? Did you watch either of the first two Thor movies? No. Oh, I
1: know no. which girl. Is she one of the Asgardian ones? No, she's not an Asgardian,
2: but she's one of the, she's like Natalie Portman's sidekick, I suppose. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes. She's Amen.
1: in one of the movies.
2: She means, like, she's, I think she's an astro, she, astrophysicist, movie. Mm-hmm. She's a scientist of some description, but she at some point turns around and says, a very sort of throwaway line where she's like oh i have a mechanical engineer friend who would be very good who maybe would want to take a look at this or an engineer or something like that and many have speculated and if it's the case i blows my wee mind that it's reed richards aka mr fantastic and the fantastic four are going to be sort of this is there going to be their entrance into the mcu that you're going to have Fantastic Four brought into it, which I'm very excited for. Yeah. Because I think they've, they've messed up the treatment of that series so many times. Yeah. Um, I they would be partly, very
1: interested. In one of our earlier podcasts, we discussed that... Um, well, in fact, we didn't mention this bit, but um, that there's speculation how they're, they're going to bring in Doctor Doom, I think, first, before they bring in the Fantastic yeah. Four. And Doctor Doom's going to be the next big bad in Marvel after um, Thanos. That makes sense. And they were going to bring him in. Apparently, there's speculation they're going to bring it in um, after or for for Black Panther 2. He's going to make his entrance there. And then it makes sense that Fantastic Four is going to come in at some point. But I don't think you'll get an origin story, just like what they did with Peter Parker and Spider-Man for Marvel. I think they'll just jump in, basically, already fully made, you know, with their powers, knowing what they're doing, sort of. I mean... Sense. I know I, I,
2: I'm. I'm just keen to see them done well. Um, again, as we we're talking about treatment-wise, they've never been really handled particularly well as a franchise.
1: Yeah. Um. But, Any other shows that you've watched or films that you've watched?
2: Um. Yes. Yeah, so that's and I know you. I know what you want me to say, but I'm not going to say it because I haven't watched it yet uh i'm so i apologize um needs to be added
1: remember boss you're off the podcast if you don't have it done by the end of the year i know i know i know um should we will we'll tell the fans
2: mark Um, yeah you've you're trying to get me to watch dark i've actually started this is a bit sort of weird um we were when you were a kid did you ever watch dragon ball z not really no i was obsessed with like that sort of stuff it was on cartoon network it was on toonami um whenever i was okay when we were kids and i was obsessed with it and what i've recently done was i went back and i bought all of the dvds like the entire series i'm starting to watch through dragon ball again so it's it starts off with dragon ball which is the first series where the main character is like a kid and then it's dragon ball z where he's an adult um so i'm just gonna watch those i've started watching those last night so
1: that's gonna be my little like things i watch throughout the year but yeah cool um I've watched um, a lot of films since our last podcast. I watched L.A. Confidential last night. Good. Didn't like it. No, did okay. not like it at all. I felt like a lot of uh, Hollywood loving themselves, kind of, and it was like a really, I suppose it was a good portrayal of the nineteen fifties and gangs and crime in the 19, 1950s in L.A. Is that the one that's creepy Kevin Spacey in it? Yeah, yeah, Kevin Spacey's in it, but I mean, he's not. Yeah, he's one of the main characters, I guess, but um, yeah, just definitely given its rating. It's a lot more underwhelming than that. Um, Porco Rosso, which is one of the Miyazaki films. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> uh, Into the Wild. I have such a variety. I end up chomping and changing what I watch. Into the Wild, which was your film we talked about. Then I watched The Hunt. Uh, my review of The Hunt is on um, Instagram now, on the oh, Film Frequency blogs. Nice blogs. And uh, it's my favorite out of the lot that I've watched in the past few weeks. And then I also watched Road Trip, which was an old 2000s um, comedy. Yeah, it's on netflix and then the never-ending story was the other one i watched which was love the never-ending story yeah i just remember being traumatized by the course scene like thinking that that was one of the worst things i've ever seen in my life when i watched it you're sinking Artek. you're sinking (laughs) looking back i was like flip me mark what were you clearly the world's battered me since then because that that barely i barely uh winced at that basically when it came up this, uh, this time i, watched I had it. a
2: really i had a really awkward moment with that um we were in class we were talking about google i don't know if you know this but google has an awful lot of deep sea marine research vessels like they're really into deep sea exploration like google like the search engine mm-hmm. and um one of the ships is called falcor like the main sort of flagship research vessel is called falcor and we were sitting in class one day my lecturer just turned around and they said oh there's um Anyone know what this is, and me being like the absolute nerd that it was, took my hand. It's like it's Falcor from the Neverending Story. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> apparently, his like daughter is like a really big fan of the um, like game. Is a really big fan of Neverending Stories, so that's why like they named like Falcor's one, and I think there's an Atreyu as well, oh, and it's maybe a Bast. There might be a Bastion, which is a. I mean, we can get into a whole podcast about what a weird name that is for a child.
1: that's true oh oh god i love i love never ending story it's great yeah and the 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 theme tune as well i while watching that i was thinking this is crying out to be remade by hollywood not that um I wanted to be remade i'm just thinking like this is definitely i guarantee in the next five years you'll get you'll hear this being greenlit as a remake now that i'm thinking about it i don't know why they haven't tried like i, I agree with you i don't think it ever should be remade like it's perfect
2: as it is yeah. but i'm really surprised that nobody's tried to bugger it up yet
1: i feel like hollywood's just forgotten that it exists but i'm sure especially do you know where it. i'll do it netflix will do it netflix will yeah, bring it back you know, to do it. Maybe because it's obviously cool. Cause they're all about mm-hmm. trying to build, they're all about trying to build like a franchise or something. So, but well, it's make- not
2: even just that, it's story. the fact that Netflix talks, it's World. like the fact that even they dropped them into Stranger Things where it's like they're all singing like the song and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, though, yeah. that was that was the first because I, I was like, right, I was sitting there and they started singing it. I was like, I found myself singing along to it, and I was like, I don't remember watching it that many times as a kid,
1: but like, I yeah, I love it yeah and then the a piece of tv that i watched over the past fortnight is the first season of the oa on netflix and i had been recommended by people about this but i know it got cancelled after season two but i heard the first season really good i wasn't that fussed on it um really good concept really really smart concept and i think the the brit or brit someone brit marley who makes this and co-makes it with another guy um you know i i think You'll hear of them again, even though this got cancelled. I think it was a clever idea, and um, I'd like to see maybe what they do next. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Film Frequency. If you liked what you heard, click subscribe. You can listen to more of our episodes on Spotify, as well as Apple and Google podcasts. Also, Film Frequency is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more movie and TV news, along with the opportunity for you to become involved in the film conversation.